everyone. Welcome to the Stockout. Happy Friday. Uh, made it through another week. Um, and today on the Stockout, um, no guest, no sponsor, but do have a lot to talk about. I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, some of the latest uh, FreightWaves sonar you know, data points, including a couple that really spurred a lot of uh, debate, You know, one on the ocean side, one on uh, the domestic uh, intermodal side. I'll talk through those and I'll give a rundown of the CPG uh, you know, news. I thought there was some interesting, some maybe contradictory stuff, some kind of entertaining stuff in there as well. Um, so I'll get uh, started uh, you know, talking about uh, really the uh, thing that spurred the most debate here at FreightWaves in the past week. Uh, which is the um, you know the China energy crisis, which um, you know earlier this week you know article in the Wall Street Journal sort of front page uh, about uh, you know China you know having shortage of coal um, you know maybe some of the manufacturers not getting the the energy that they needed and um, sort of spurred this debate because really you know so many of the things that we see at freight waves are sort of just really you know bullish on uh, demand you know everyone from our lead economist Anthony Smith, sort of, and 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 from people from other perspectives as well, you know, don't see the you know the consumer you know cutting back. Just had the Consumer Brands Association on this show last week, and they did not see um, you know any sign of the, of, of the the consumer uh, spending. So it's really has been hard for us to see any sort of uh, reason why there would be a drop in freight demand. Um, but uh, you know some of the news this week on uh, you know, China's. Uh, you know, energy situation, um, you know, really gave rise to say, well, is, is this really a, a major risk if a lot of those manufacturers are not able to get the electricity that they needed, if there really is uh, sort of, um, you know, metering or rationing of, uh, of the electricity, uh, you know, in China. And um, you know, I think this, is a, it's, this could be a, you know, a, a significant risk. I mean, there, I guess there was one brokerage firm, Naruma Capital, that, uh, you know, had had flagged this as a as a pretty significant risk, um, you know, some time ago, and it just sort of shows that sometimes you know analysts that are just really plugged into a space can uh, you know identify something that's that's not yet uh, sort of widely you know widely known, um, but 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 really sort of it's been a result of you know combination of uh, you know surge in, in demand for electricity with with all of the um, manufacturers running sort of full blast combined with some geopolitical tensions, I guess you know not. Uh, you know, importing as much uh, coal, you know, from Australia. Um, but in any event, uh, you know, these China Chinese producers are having to ration, you know, their use of some coal. And, uh, you know, in the last week, you know, I have a chart on the outbound ocean shipments index, um, you, know, you know, from China, you know, showing that we you know we did see a drop in early October. And I think that the, the challenge is you see that that chart there where, you know, the outbound ocean shipment index uh, from China, you know, went from about 175 uh, index points uh, to about 150. So a pretty significant drop. And what's difficult to discern is how much of that is, you know, a result of, um, you know, manufacturers re reducing their output because of the electricity and, and just the typical uh, China, uh, you know, golden week. Uh, you know, the golden week was uh, October 1st through October uh, 7th. And you can see last year on the left side of that chart, you know, a big drop at this time last year as as well. So it's almost like a mini uh, Chinese New Year. It's kind of the other sort of the other big holiday in in, in China is this golden is, is this golden week. It's hard to you know from our perspective you know break those out you know to sort of decipher you know where where the biggest you know impact is is it um, is it the electricity is is it the golden week? But it's something we're going to watch you know very closely. Um, you know, also have a chart that shows the. You know, Drury World Container Index uh, from from Shanghai to Los Angeles and from Shanghai to New York, and those show that the the, the shipping rates 
Trans-Pacific, um, you know, those have come down some. Uh, you know, I saw that Flexport, uh, which is a major, um, you know, technology-based freight forwarder, you know, they talked about how there were, in, in their newsletter, a number of the ocean carriers have cut rates. As you see there um, in, in yellow is Shanghai to New York, uh, you know, and in blue, Shanghai to, to Los Angeles, sort of that, that densest um, trade lane there. Those are both down, you know, pretty significantly, you know, maybe not not quite, you know, 10%, 5, 5 to 10%, let's say. And, uh, you know, it could be the first sort of drop. I mean, it's, it's worth mentioning those are still at very high level. Those are up like 300%. And the, the Freitos is up even even more than that with the adjustment that they made in, in, in the methodology. So ocean shipping rates are still very expensive. You know, we have seen a, 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 pull, a decline in, um, in, in, in those rates and, and then the rates from, from, from a number of the carriers. So, you know, as, as far as how, you know, this may play out, I mean, it could just be, you know, temporary blip that you could get this resolved. It may be you know, primarily due to that holiday and uh, things go back to normal. And there's just as much demand as people, you know, were expecting uh, last week. Uh, the other possibility is that uh, Chinese manufacturing, um, you know, does get scaled back. It doesn't get the output that, that people are expecting. And, and, and if that's uh, true, um, you know, really, I think it, it could play out in a couple of different ways and, and, and could have you know, greater you know, benefits to, to some to some than others. You know, if there are manufacturing constraints in China, you know, at this point, um, you know, a lot of those are, are for goods that, you know, maybe you know, go into early next year, given all the all the capacity constraints. Uh, but that could just be another sort of major choke point uh, in the global uh, supply chain could lead to you know, additional shortages of goods. So uh, that could cause problems for, for some you know, shippers. Um, but, uh, you know, also I think on, on the CPG side, you know, you could see some silver lining there uh, just because, you know, any sort of drop in trans-Pacific activity, I think would give the North American freight uh, uh, markets, you know, some uh, you know time to, to sort of catch its breath. I mean, one of the big reasons why there's been so much uh, disruption this year is because, you know, imports have been really at an elevated level since, you know, let's say the middle part of last year, and there really hasn't been a breather, you know, not seasonally, not really for any, you know, holidays. And uh, it's just it sort of has this cumulative nature where you, you, you know, starts to be starts to be congestion, you know, that sort of gets exacerbated. And, um, you know, it, it sort of gets, you know, progressively, it gets progressively worse. And we've sort of seen that, you know, in and around the ports. I mean, some of these stats like Hapag Lloyd saying that the, the containers are sitting at the ports of LA Long Beach for 12 days, and they're you know sitting in Chicago for for eight days. And there's not enough uh, you know uh, you know chassis for to moving international containers. All of those things, um, you know, I think the, the freight markets could use a little bit of a breather. And then you know we think there's a pretty you know strong link. We've seen this on when we look at our various data sets together um, between the ocean uh, you know import volume in, in the United States and the domestic freight markets. And so this could, uh, you know, help the, the the CPG companies that manufacture, you know, domestically, you know, benefit from a little bit lower rates, a little bit more on time, you know, delivery. So I think, uh, you know, for, it could be, you know, sort of encouraging news for some, uh, you know, CPG companies. I think maybe you know troubling news for for, for others. So definitely something to watch is this uh, energy situation, uh, you know, in China. Uh, topic uh, number two here is a domestic intermodal. And is it possible that the domestic intermodal congestion is getting less worse, if you will, as getting not as as bad as as it was? I mean, one of the uh, you know, charts that really stood out to me is this outbound domestic rail volume chart, uh, which you know we get from a company that that, that processes um, a lot of the the, the payments. Uh, 
you know, for, from rail shippers. And, you know, you see here an increase in the volume of domestic uh, intermodal containers. So these are 53 foot containers. And you see in October, that level is seven and a half percent above the level uh, from August and September. And so, you know, we know that, you know, for extended period of time, there's been absolutely plenty of demand. And you see that, that drop where the, the volumes turned negative in June and they stayed negative in June, you know, through now. And, and, and now we're down, down about, still about down about 4% year over year, you know, have been down more like 10%, uh, you know, year over year. And that was with plenty of demand. Uh, it was just, you know, due to all these intermodal capacity constraints, you know, lack of containers, you know, lack of chassis, you know, lack of drainage capacity, the tremendous imbalance in, uh, you know, the marketplace just heard um, the Port of LA at, a, at our conference say that the, the ratio of imports to exports in LA is five to one, and it's typically about two and a half to one. So you have all this additional, you know, freight uh, coming, you know, east uh, from the ports of LA, Long Beach, and, and, and just very little, very little going back, going back west. Um, the, the, you know, the freight markets are even more imbalanced, you know, than they typically are. Um, but I do see that increase uh, sequentially uh, in domestic intermodal volume as being, you know, potentially one indicator that uh, the the domestic inter intermodal con capacity constraints, all this congestion, is is starting to get at least partially alleviated. So uh, that's that's one um, you know metric to watch. You know, one thing that's worth noting is when you look at the the other segment of the transportation um, industry, the other segment of the intermodal industry, I should say, that the international segment, which is uh, primarily 40-foot containers, uh, not seeing the same pattern if actually the international containers have fallen off. So it does seem like the international uh, intermodal um, you know, market, which you know, I really think of as being distinct from the domestic intermodal market, international is still constrained. You know, domestic is maybe getting a little bit uh, better. So those are really the two, you know, big topics um, in the world of freight uh, data that uh, you know caught my attention. A, a third topic uh, that was you know talked about a lot on FreightWaves.com was uh, Martin Transport. Um, you know, the big reefer carrier based in Mondovi, uh, Wisconsin, was hit with a system-wide uh, you know cyber attack. Um, you know, this was uh, you know reported on pretty extensively on FreightWaves.com by uh, Clarissa Haas who follows a lot of the, tr the trucking uh, companies. Uh, he has a lot of context at the trucking companies. They tend to send her little nuggets of, of information um, that are kind of insightful. We had, you know, some, uh, you know, screenshots of, uh, you know, photographs where um, the, the drivers had taken of their, you know, electronic, uh, you know, device where, um, you know, Tim Cole, the company's CEO had sent out uh, certain notifications. And, and a lot of those notifications seem to try to, um, you know, get, drivers not to, to jump ship, really. I mean, he sort of said things like, well, you know, for another year, we're not raising your your health insurance, uh, you know, costs, uh, you know, et cetera. We, we pay better than everyone else in the industry. So it's kind of trying to sort of placate the, the drivers a little bit, um, you know, in this uh, extremely tight, uh, you know, labor market. And I do bring up uh, the tr Martin Transport, you know, situation because, um, you know, target market for this podcast, the CPG companies, they do move a lot of reefer Martin you know, really strictly a, a reefer, you know, carrier. Um, and, uh, you know, the good news is that they're still picking up packages and, uh, you know, hopefully that's, this ends up being a, a temporary thing, but, but, you know, you know, do check out the, the, um, uh, reports, um, the, the, the articles on uh, Martin transport on freightwaves.com. You know, fourth topic here is, I thought this was interesting. Pepsi uh, says consumers are more accepting of price increases uh, you know, Pepsi reported, uh, you know, earnings this uh, this week, you know, 
sort of similar to recent pattern. I mean, Pepsi has reported strong earnings and uh, I think, you know, better than a lot of people had expected. I mean, they uh, you know, did really well during the pandemic. I think consumers did a, you know, too much snacking during the pandemic, maybe ate too many uh, Frito-Lay uh, potato chips. Um, but consumers still seem to be you know, snacking coming out of it. And they actually took their revenue expectation up from 6% revenue growth to 8% revenue growth. And those are on top of uh, you know, pandemic uh, type uh, you know, volumes. And so it's actually pretty uh, impressive. And then what's also impressive is that their operating profit rose 5%. Um, and uh, that's despite having you know, uh, all, this, all this cost pressure. And um, you know, a lot of the, the analysts, as you expect, you know, asked about pricing and, and, and things as they often uh, do. And uh, interesting that Pepsi CEO said that they're seeing lower levels of price elasticity relative to history. So if um, you haven't taken economics 101 in a while, uh, lower price elasticity means you're less likely to stop buying a product when the price goes up. That seems to be what they're seeing. They also said that they're just more confident that they're going to be able to pass through these price increases uh, to offset the higher cost of inflation. Um, and they also attribute their uh, success to um, there's some innovations in energy drinks like Mountain Dew Rise, which is a new energy drink. Um, sounds like something that would uh, you know keep you up at night, but um, so I'm not sure I recommend uh, you know drinking that. But Pepsi sort of firing on all cylinders, um, and and leads me to the next topic, which you know this is going to maybe counter counter be a counter argument to what I just read, or maybe you have your own ideas of of what the difference is. But you know, topic number five, you know, Conagra brand. So Conagra is a company that owns you know Hunts and various other brands, um, they actually raise their expectations for gross inflation. They are seeing a lot of margin pressure, unlike uh, Pepsi. So they said that their gross inflation um, you know, measure was, you know, went from 9% expectation to about 11% expectation. So really seeing a tremendous amount of, of, of inflation. And then their, their gross margins declined 530 basis points a year over year, leading to earnings per share decline of 29% uh, year over year. So sort of the implication is that uh, the margin, they're, they're maybe getting about half of that uh, cost inflation back in price increases. Um, and the other half, they're sort of absorbing, um, you know, it might be because their their brands are maybe not the, you know, not not all at the, the top end of the, um, you know, desirability list, uh, you know, Hunt's uh, ketchup, I've never thought has, has tasted very good. Um, but they have actually said that the demand for Hunt's has been, uh, you know, unprecedented. Um, so they don't seem to think it's it's sort of a lack of demand, but um, you know I, I think in, in some of these food companies it's a, maybe a little bit harder to pass through those price increases, uh, despite what um, you know Pepsi has said. You know, topic number six. So this is another one that's on you know CPG industry is a Kellogg's strike. There's a, a strike at four Kellogg's cereal plants, impacting more than a thousand uh, workers. This one caught, caught my attention largely because of the art by this uh, this union, which, you know, if, if you, you know, go to, to Twitter, uh, you know, do a search for, for Kellogg, you can see that this art shows Tony the Tiger carrying a picket sign saying that they're on a strike, which I thought was pretty clever. Um, and, you know, some of the, the back and forth has been pretty entertaining, too. Kellogg says that there's these people make 120000 a year, which is a lot for, you know, people who are, are packaging um, uh, uh, cereal. Uh, union says you only make that much if you work 80 to 100 hours a week and never see your kids. And then the union uh, makes uh, recommendations to those workers like buying your kid a better birthday present because you're going to miss his party and uh, telling your wife that you love Frosted Flakes uh, more than, than her. So those are uh, you know, straight from the union. And um, 
I'm not sure I necessarily you know follow those, but you know kind of entertaining. You know we've seen this with uh, CPG companies. Uh, you know recently with with Mondelez. Um, you know the, those Mondelez workers, I guess, are are, are back at back at work. So uh, no uh, shortage of uh, Oreos. Um, but I think it's really sort of. Uh, reflects you know what sort of what's happened with the CPG industry you know during the, the course of the pandemic there was an elevated you know demand for a lot of these products with people staying at home and um, you know in, in some cases the companies had to use contract manufacturing in other cases they just had their existing uh, employees work longer hours and a lot of those those uh, ag- agreements had you know pretty lucrative um, you know uh, overtime pay for uh, you know, workers that you know had to, had to, had to you know take on additional hours, and I think the companies realize, well, we don't know whether we're in a new normal or not. If um, you know, a lot of people you know do like I do and and, and stay at home, you know, most days working, um, that they that those contracts really need to be renegotiated to sort of reflect the new era, and uh, that's that's caused a lot of you know labor strife. I think the the, the unions also maybe have more um, you know leverage now just because the, the overall. Uh, labor, um, you know, situation is so tight, pretty much everywhere, particularly for for blue collar, um, you know, labor. So I, I think you're going to see more of those type of, you know, labor issues. Um, what I would say, be careful for you know to, to to labor because I don't see any reason why you couldn't make uh, frosted flakes or Oreos uh, in Mexico uh, for cheaper and you know rail them across. It doesn't need to be refrigerated, you know. Think that that stuff keeps so don't know why that needs to be you know made in the u.s but um or it could be uh automated you know more more heavily so i, I do think there's a limit to uh how much leverage uh those uh, those unions have for for packaged uh, food so with that as a little bit of a rundown of the cpg uh, industry i also want to just give a uh, uh you know a little bit of a preview to what i have on tap for the next couple of weeks on the stock out have uh, some some guests that I'm you know really excited about uh, you know next week have uh, Ryan Anderson who's a senior director of uh, logistics at Plenty Unlimited Inc. So if you're not familiar with Plenty, they do the vertical farming, which is something I really think could be uh, you know tremendously disruptive to the freight markets and to agriculture. Uh, you know basically um, you know the, the the agriculture supply chains are very long. You think about you know lettuce being made in uh, California and for a salad that's you know going to be eaten in Boston. There are inefficiencies in it, it, there, uh, just just by having the, 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 those, the supply chains being long, and then you know the week after that have um, freight farms, which is a company I talked about last week that does the the containers where you can grow um, you know lettuce or other uh, um, you know produce you know in they, they basically sell the containers to uh, you know a smaller farmer that you know maybe in areas where they don't have access to a lot of the the, the produce um, because they're not on a big city next to a big highway. Um, so that's something that uh, could, you know, sort of remove some of the food deserts. I think, you know, maybe improve the quality of life in, in a lot of uh, communities um, and, and also help the environment. So we're going to learn more about vertical farming in the next uh, couple of weeks. So I'd encourage you to, you know, tune in for those things. And uh, in the interim, uh, if you're not signed up for the Stockout newsletter already, please do that at www.freightwaves.com forward slash the stock out. And if anyone needs to reach out to, uh, to me for any reason, uh, feel free to do that at mbowdendistal at freightwaves.com. And with that, um, hope everyone has a great weekend.